Christ. We get to celebrate one of the two ordinances of the church. They're precious this morning. The Lord's Supper. I listened to this week to a podcast. and In the podcast, the speaker, Chip Ingram, talked about going to Iraq where the church is severely persecuted. And he was teaching on spiritual warfare and he became friends with one of the pastors. And this pastor said, they're beginning to come into our churches, open fire with guns, arrest people. He said there was a demand that we take the cross off of the church. He said, I thought, I can't bear to think of them coming in with guns and, and shooting everybody. And, you know, it's not safe. And, and so they took the cross down from the church. And he prayed and God spoke to him and said, today at 430, you need to crawl back up on the church and put the cross back up there. And he did. And as I thought about that, and, and, and Chip made the point, you know, at least right now, we don't have the fear of somebody coming in here and opening fire with machine guns when we worship. But the one thing this pastor came to that regardless of what may happen, there has to be room for the cross. And guys, I'm going to tell you now, if I ever do not proclaim the cross, run from me, get rid of me, don't listen to me, or any preacher for that matter, because we must always be about the cross. It must always be about the salvation that he alone provides. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, as we remember the cross, not just upon the top of this building, but the cross that's in your heart. For in Romans, um, no, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so with that being said, our text is in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 29 through 31. And the message is what the cross of Christ destroys. So I ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read from his word. Romans three twenty-nine through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Master, as we come to you, although we are weak and although we are afraid, we make room for the cross, Lord. For it is by way of the cross, the message of the cross, we are being saved. That is the power of your church, of your people. It is not in and of ourselves, but in Jesus, who died on that old rugged tree for us. And, and God, as we remember this ordinance of, of Jesus, I pray you guide us through the walk of your word. How you change us, Lord. What you destroy when the cross becomes prevalent in a life transformed by Jesus. So just work and speak to us, Father, by the Holy Spirit. God, if I speak, so what? But if you speak, oh God, we hunger, we thirst for that. So speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
several years ago, a university professor teaching her class the art of repelling. And so she climbed on a high building on the campus, secured the rope with a large steel grid to a place on the building. And then she began to lower herself on the rope. She had faith in her rope. And she had faith in her ability to be able to repel, for she had done it many times. And she had faith in the steel grid from which she secured a rope. The problem was not her lack of faith. It was the object of her faith. Because that steel grid came loose and she plummeted to her death. She had placed her faith in the wrong place. I read some time ago about an executive in a downtown office building. They were on the 20th floor. And when a new person would come onto his team... He liked to act tough, and he would run and throw his shoulder into the window. I mean, after all, this is a reinforced window. You know, it's made um, against great winds and all kinds of storms. And so he did this many times with not much fear. But this one time when there was a new person coming into their business, he ran for that window, shoulder first, and the grass broke, and he plummeted to his death. The window shattered. What was his problem? He was exercising faith in an object that was weaker than he thought. There there are many that do this as well. One author talks about a dear couple, Sam and his wife, Bessie, years ago, who lived in a place that there were very few people, and they were on the other side of a river. And in order to get out of to the trading post to get the supplies that they needed. They had to cross this half-mile river. Uh, They would do that with a rowboat when the weather was warm, but when the weather was cold in the winter, they walked across. The problem was it was early winter, and Sam was not sure the ice would hold him. He needed to cross over because Bessie was sick. They had sick. They had taken in a person who needed a place to stay. And as a result of that, she had a fever. And he knew that she was very sick. And if she didn't get the medication that she needed, she would soon die. And so he thought, what am I going to do? I, I don't trust that the ice is really frozen, but I've got to get across there. I've got to get the medicine that's needed for Bessie. And so he took a board and he tried to distribute his weight. And painfully and carefully, he would slide that board and, and try to carefully go across that ice on his journey to get to the trading post. And things went good for about 20 minutes. And then he heard a and his heart began to pound. And he, he began to cry out to God for safety. And, and then the noise began to increase. And the ice began to groan. And he just knew there was going to be a terrible crash. And the ice was going to break and he was going to drown. And then the most amazing thing happened. A team of horses in a carriage began to charge across the ice right beside him. <laughs> Headed to the trading post. And he jumped up. And this old guy turned into a Pentecostal. And started shouting, Amen! And he began running. Because why? He understood that the ice would hold. That he could make it across. He got the medicine. He even grabbed a ride back. 
on this man who, who, had, you know, who had the carriage and the horses. And he made it across. What happened? He understood that the foundation would hold. And that he would make it across. One of the great things also in the story was about a neighbor who lived high up on a bluff. And he happened to be using binoculars to look down at Sam as he watched him, you know, carefully inch across of this board. And then he saw this, these horses' carriage come across. And, but then he had lost sight of what happened after that. He said he came back and he looked again. And Sam was running, you know, he was running back to get on this carriage and head across the lake. And he was amazed. He yelled out to his wife and he said, Sam went from being a creeper to a leaper. Oh, we have little faith. We're often like little creepers. But in the foundation of Jesus Christ, that was one at Calvary. Praise be to God, may we be leapers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I love Paul as he writes. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved... To know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's what we're talking about. It's the power that's found in the cross. The power that's found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Where Paul is talking about all his great religious accomplishments. But then he turns and he says. He says, but I am resolved that none of these. They're all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. He says, I count them all but lost. <laughs> he says that I may gain Christ. He says, it's a righteousness, not of my own, that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is of God, and it is by faith. That, that is what we are talking about. The life-changing power of Christ. In Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36, Jesus speaks about how those who come by way of the cross, they're going to live in divided families. Not everybody is going to receive that message well. Not everybody is going to be in agreement. Some will suffer, and there have been many who have turned away from the message of the cross because they did not want the divisiveness that comes from others. They wanted to live a peaceful, passive existence. But it is not an existence that's full of life. It is an existence that is empty and is headed to life without God. Now, as we look at this section of Scripture here, I want to look at three areas here where the cross works and what the cross destroys. The first is the right for personal pride. The second is the cross destroys the root of personal prejudice. And the third, it destroys the rationale of personal presumption. 
Paul writes in Romans 3.27, where then is the boast? And in our text here in Romans 3, verse 29, the apostle Paul, as he writes to this church at Rome, shares the words, he says, Is God the God of the Jews? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. He is the God of all. And the faith that we have that is in Christ, it is not something that we deserve. Never has been, guys. There's a verse in Galatians that I think of a lot. And it says, um, I shall not boast except in the cross of Christ by which I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. See, there's only one place to boast. It's in Jesus. Because if I have any goodness, if I have any righteousness, if I have any hope, if I have anything that's a blessing, because the Bible says every good and perfect gift that's from above, it comes from God, and all of that is Jesus. He is the source, ultimately, of it. Matter of fact, turn me to Revelation chapter 5. It just reminds us, guys, when we are up there and we are worshiping, <laughs> we'll be surrounding Jesus in worship. And it's just beautiful picture here um, that we see. As it talks about the elders and their worship, uh, verse 8 says... Um, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. It's a place of worship. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Look at this great song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then down in verse 12, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. That's just about it, guys. Singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praised honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped as it says in ephesians 2 8 9 it's by grace you've been saved through faith it's not of yourselves <laughs> it's the gift of god not by works so that no man can boast we have nothing in and of ourselves to boast about it is christ as the song the elders sang is the song we will sing. Jesus, Lord of all, Lamb of God, you were slain for us. You redeemed us. You bought us back by the power of the cross. You purchased us with your blood. You made us priests unto God. You placed us in your kingdom. You allow us to reign with you when the new heaven and the new earth arrives. It is not of us. We have no right for personal pride. Secondly, there is no root of personal prejudice. Look again at our text here. As he writes, he says, um, 
Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. You see, the Jews envision themselves as God's holy, separate people. They would get up each morning and they would pray thanksgiving to God that he had created them into the Jewish race and not one of those low-life Gentiles that do not deserve your time and do not deserve you. Remember the prophet Jonah? What a great example Jonah was of this. God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach about me and the salvation that I bring. And Jonah's like, Nuh-uh, the Ninevites? Lord, I need to clean out my ears or maybe I ate some bad Jerusalem pizza or something. I didn't hear that. And so what he he took off the opposite direction. Instead of running for God, he decided he was going to run from God. He got on a boat that was headed the other direction. You guys know what happened. He ended up over the side of the boat and he got swallowed by a big fish. Often in our mind, you know, we think a whale because that's the biggest fish we know of. But he swallowed by this big fish. And you would think, I mean, if you were swallowed by a big fish, how long would it take for you to change your mind? Well, it says in Jonah chapter 2, it took him three days. He was sitting in that whale's belly for three days. And he was arguing with God, salvation is for the Jews. Salvation is for the Jews. But in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, in his prayer, he had a change of heart. He said, salvation is from the Lord. It is not merely to the Jews. It is from the Lord. And it is for all peoples to which he desires to grace and to redeem and to save in his work. You see, no true preacher of the gospel wants to get bogged down with talking about the differences of people. Well, this person's a, a certain ethnicity. A certain color or speaks a certain language. Born in a certain nation. We're all sinners who need a savior. Regardless of our differences. The cross. All grounds level at the cross. No room for personal prejudice. We all have a heart problem. We all have a heart problem. Um, Years ago I attended a church planting seminar. And... There were literally uh, church planters, this is in the Raleigh area, who spoke a number of different languages. And they were obviously from different nations. <laughs> they got to meet some of these different people, great people. And you know what I'll never forget? It was so moving. As we came near the end of the service, the instructor said, Guys, I want everybody to sing Amazing Grace in their native tongue. Wow. I, you know, I might not have understood their words, but I understood their worship. <laughs> it was awesome. And I thought this is what it would be one common language, the language of the Lamb. As we are up there and as we worship before him. You see, Jonah was saying, Lord, I don't want, I don't want the Ninevites in our neighborhood. I want them to stay secluded in their neighborhood. Lord, you belong to us, not to them. I don't want them as family. Well, guess what? We don't choose family in that fashion. He chooses us. 
by the power of the cross. The power of the cross. One more here. The cross of Christ destroys the rationale of personal presumption. Look here at verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. I love it in, in the Amplified. It says we establish, we confirm, we uphold the law. You see, there are some that have this idea since Jesus died for all and since Jesus conquered sin, there's no more room for the law. The law is nullified. The law has no purpose. The law is antiquated. It is not to be thought of. But that is not what happened. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He did not come to do away with the law. He came to totally fulfill the law. Because it would take one who was totally righteous to be the perfect sacrifice. So that the law may be confirmed. That the law may be established. That the law may be upheld. Remember Romans 6.1. He, he, he starts out and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue to live any longer therein? He said that, that grace of God... It, it was established at the cross. Ways in which the cross of Christ established the law. Of, the cross upheld the standard of the law. The standard of God's holiness upheld at Calvary. Listen to these words of James Montgomery Boyce. Suppose God had declared the cross of Christ was unnecessary. Suppose he had said, I do not think it will be necessary for me to send my son to die for sinners. By grace, I will allow them to be saved in the way they want to be saved. That is, by their own attempts to keep the law. Since they cannot keep the law perfectly, though, I will set a certain standard that they have to attain. We will call it a passing grade. If they reach that, I will save them. If not, they will be lost. Suppose God set the passing score at 70% of the just requirements of the law. Would he then have diminished or nullified 30% of the law? And what if in that 30% the commands to not steal or commit adultery were violated? What if God put the passing score at 50%? Would not half the law have been set aside? If the cross were unnecessary and God saved us on the basis of whatever we could do, since we do not even keep one part of the law perfectly, God would actually be setting aside the entire law. Instead, the cross of Christ revealed that God took the law seriously, seriously enough to require the life of a substitute who in this eternal case was his own son. And one last one here. The cross fulfilled the verdict of the law. I love these words of William Newell. The cross of Christ established the law by having its penalty executed. He determined to save men from the curse of the law by his own son who instead took that curse upon himself to fulfill the wage. You see, God could have loved us in heaven. God could have looked the other way. God could have graded us on a curve. Well, you're better than most people, but. God could have graded for sincerity. And a lot of people say, well, that, you know, it sounds really intellectual. Say all roads lead to heaven. All paths that go up the mountain. 
You know, and that may sound good, but it makes God out to be a fool. Why? Because if there are many paths to God, why would he send his one and only son to the cross? If there was any other way. He wouldn't. That is the only way. No other way but Calvary. No other way than the humiliation and the suffering of the cross. We're not based on a curve. We're based on a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only perfect score is the Savior. Let me close with this illustration. Uh, I was at a major university in a philosophy class with a teacher who had a reputation for giving out bad grades. Very difficult to pass this class. So he told the class before the final exam, here's what I will allow you to do. I will allow you to take one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and to write on that paper or to put everything on that paper that is needed for the exam. Whatever you can fit on that eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, you can use for the test. So you know what happened. You know, the students went home and they wrote small as they could and still read it. Everything they thought might be on that test. When it came time for the test, the students came in with their sheets of paper. But there was one student who came into class and his piece of paper was blank. Everybody looked and thought, what is wrong with this guy? What a gift to be able to have this paper. As they put their pieces of paper on their desk to prepare for the test, this student put his piece of paper on the floor in front of him. And then he went out of the classroom and he came back in with a top doctoral student in philosophy who was about to get his doctorate. And he placed him squarely on that 8 and 11 by 8. Okay, you got it. On that piece of paper. Well, of course, the other students and the professor... They argued about this, but he said, whatever I could get on that piece of paper, and he's on the paper. Okay? You got the point? He's on the cross, but he's not still on the cross because he rose from the grave. And guys, we come today because we want to remember him. We don't want to take the cross off of our lives, not just this church building, but the church must be about the cross. So I ask you, prepare your heart. As I ask the deacons to come forward, and we prepare the table. Prepare your heart as we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper today.